What's up, everyone? We're back for another episode of Locked on Bucks. And joining us, uh, I was going to say a familiar face, but maybe not a familiar face for those watching on YouTube, but certainly a familiar voice. Friend of the podcast, Seth Part now is here. Uh, he's about to... I, I don't know I want to say about to become a published author. Let's say a published author. I'm hearing people have got it in some places. So published author as well. So plenty to talk about. Offenses have been struggling around the league. Why is this the case? Why is this happening? And specifically the Bucks, in particular, just looking at uh, how they've managed their offense and defense over the last couple of years. It all ties into this fantastic book that just came across the screen. So let's get into it. Max him down. On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can hear and see me now daily on this show and also find my work over at ESPN and NBA Australia. And as I teased right off the top and did not tell about the, the opener that we have now, so I set him up already. So that's, that's why I'm a terrible host. We have the former director of basketball research with the Bucks, now published author, also analyst over at the Athletic Set Bart now with his book, the mid-range theory about to come out. <laughs> Seth, it's always great to catch up. Thanks for taking some time, man. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me. And sorry for uh, almost speaking over your intro. That uh, that did catch me by surprise. I didn't tell Frank about that either, and Frank did the same thing. So I, I mean, it's just it's it's me. It's definitely my fault. Uh, as always, we thank you for making Lockdown Bucks your first listen of every single day. You can hear us wherever you get your podcasts for free, and also now on YouTube. And today's episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Proudly serving communities since 1965, McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends over at McDonald's for always being there. Uh, I'm loving it, Seth, and I- I'm loving this book that I've got on order that I'm about to get. Who knows? I'm not going to try and guess what Australian postage is, is going to do with this book and when it's going to arrive, but this is exciting. It's very cool. One of the things I would love to do one day is have a book and, and you've been holding it up. You've got it in your hands. This is a lot of work. I believe the initial tweet came out. It must have been around April or May this year. And I think when you talk to someone that writes a book, you realize how much time they put into it. Um, I think I actually announced it just about a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I finished the bulk of it in late April, early May, but I think it was... Kind of the the official contract to deliver a book was signed, uh, maybe maybe late September or October of last year. So yeah, it's it's actually for a book like this, it, it was a pretty quick turnaround time. Um, you know, sports books at my like at, now having written one, I am now an expert in all things of the publishing <laughs> industry. So, um, I, but a, sports books tend to have quicker turnaround times just because there is a certain amount of currency involved. But still, that that. It, felt very quick um it's, it's a lot to it was a lot to cram in but uh but uh, i think i think the end product came out pretty well and i'm i'm uh, i'm excited i was definitely excited to have the physical item in my hand and i'm excited for uh other people to uh to to get a chance to 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 read it 
Um, I'm hoping that I can do something to help sort of clarify some of the discussion around um, the sort of the great analytics debates of our, the, the, first of all, the, the sort of the, the meta debate about the place of statistics and analytics in basketball and sports, um, kind of demystifying some of the some of the, the misconceptions really about what the thing is, but then also just this uh, be topical about you know uh, what what is the cause of of all the three pointers that we're seeing? What what uh, what is to be done about it? Is it is it a problem? Um, how are the playoffs different from the regular season? Um, why is the draft so hard uh, in, in the draft and, and team building overall? And so those are, those are just some of the topics that, that uh, I deal with in some of the chapters in the books and book. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited for people to get the chance to engage with it. Well, you had me hooked straight away just from the title, calling it the mid-range theory, because when you and you already hinted to it there. But if you're watching an NBA game this year, and this is something that has become I don't know whether it's more frustrating or more humorous the way that it gets thrown around, but in particular with the mid-range shot and and certain aspects of the game that now they just become buzzwords that people will throw out there without any context or meaning. So, you know, I think it's going to be a really fascinating book to read and, and whoever gets it is certainly going to learn a lot. But I think it's, it, when, when we always try and tie things back to the Bucks here, but I think in general, when you talk about shot distribution and, and the way we've seen the Bucks change and whether you want to look at it from the offensive end or, or from the defensive end, the way the shots that they've tried to get opposition to take since Mike Budenholz has come to town, it's been fascinating. I was looking at some numbers just in preparation for this, just to get some, some context to this. And this is on the defensive end. And we know this, we've discussed this over the last the course of the last couple of seasons. But when you go from 2017-18 under Kidd and Prunty two Budenholzer in 18-19 in shots. Uh, this is shot frequency. This is from via cleaning glass, by the way. Shot for opposition shot frequency at the rim went from 39% all the way down to 30, which was, I, I think it was it was ranked around, it was in the 20s there, something right up to number one. The, the teams were taking the fewest shots at the rim. And then as far as three-pointers go, it wasn't necessarily the overall three-point frequency, but non-corner threes. We know this, the Bucks have tried to cut down on opposition corner threes and uh, make them shoot more of those above the break. Uh, threes went from 22% all the way up to 28%. So that was the, the most obvious sign that you saw that things had significantly changed with the Bucks. But how do you think that when you look at some of the aspects that you're, you're talking about in your book here as applied to the Bucks um, defensively, whether it's personnel, whether it's it's by design, or whether these things tie all, all together? Well, it's sort of a, a realization that if you try to defend everything, you defend nothing. <laughs> and and I don't want to I don't want to to put words in in, in Coach Budenholzer's mouth, but I think I'm I'm paraphrasing things that 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 he's he's said as well. Is all right. What's what's the place where the, that the that the opposition can do the most damage? Is at the rim. It's at the rim because scoring at the rim is still the most efficient way to score. It also gets you free throws, which are also extremely efficient ways to score. Like the only thing, like more efficient than than, than getting to the free throw line is dunking. Uh, if, if you get to the rim a lot, you get a lot of offensive rebounds, which again leads to not just extra opportunities, but what tend to be high value extra opportunities. So if you if and this is I think uh, something that's demonstrable over NBA history. If you do build your defense kind of from the inside out, um, you you uh, you can you can be very effective. Now, um, 
part of that. You don't you don't necessarily want to concede open three pointers, but if you can limit the catch and shoot threes, if you could limit the the kind of the open corner threes, and and uh, corner threes are are it, it's yes they're shorter, but it's also they're they're open, and that's almost. So a player catching the ball open means that your defense has been broken down somehow. Uh, and so limiting those situations um, puts you in, in, in sort of a, a good, uh, gives you a good platform to build off of, I guess. I'm almost using like a, you know, a, a soccer analogy of being strong at the back gives you a, a chance to build out. And I think that was, if you, if you ask coach Budenholzer, would you like to allow fewer threes? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Would you, uh, would you, how much, how many more shots at the rim would you like to give up to, to take away those threes? The answer would be none. Um, and, and, you know, and I think that's, uh, that, that might be too extreme, but I think that's closer to right than the other way around. And then you need, obviously you need the personnel to do that. And so I talk about this a lot in the book, uh, the, uh, a big change, not just scheme was Brooke Lopez um, in terms of a player who, first of all, can deny shots at the rim, can suppress a po- opponent shooting at the rim when he's there, um, low free throw rate. Uh, and even though he's never been a great, in terms of his own totals of individual defensive rebounding, him along with his brother and a few other players, Stephen Adams comes to mind. Uh, Nene was always a player who was better at at, at suppressing opponent offensive rebounding than he was to actually grabbing rebounds himself. Brooke, Brooke Lopez is one of the, has been over his career, one of the elite players in the league at doing that. And you look at his, you know, oh, he's averaging, he's a center averaging five and a half rebounds a game. What the hell? <laughs> well, his team is, his team is getting 80% of the, of the, de- the defensive rebounding chances. And which is more important, how many rebounds he gets or how many rebounds the, the team gets while he's on the floor. And so that, all told sort of coalesced into, I think, um, you know, a good base of a defense. Then of course you have, you know, Giannis with his, his sort of free safety ability and uh, something that, that um, was, was equally important. And I think the Bucks are, are missing it this year was first Eric Bledsoe and then Drew Holiday as the sort of the point of attack de- defender who can sort of uh, almost force players off the line to go towards Brooke Lopez and then kind of almost a pincher, a pincer action that way. Um, so it was a combination of both scheme and 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 really the right talent to make that scheme work. I was thinking about this earlier today as well, just putting it all together and and how fortunate the Bucks have been because, and I've always pushed back on this, but we do get into the habit when we talk about Eric Bledsoe of, of focusing on what he wasn't able to do in the postseason. And in many ways, it's a bit of a shame, but it does, the, the fact that Drew Holiday is such an elite perimeter defender really covers up the fact that you lost Eric Bledsoe and what he was able to do in that scheme as well. Uh, the Bucks have been obviously very fortunate there to have those two guys there. I think we've seen it with the Bucks here over the first couple of weeks of the season as well. If you watch the postseason and you didn't have any idea of what impact Brook Lopez can have uh, on this defense, then then I don't know what you were watching. But when you completely take him away, and as you pointed to, not only does that uh, removes some of the intimidation factor of teams trying to score at the rim, but it also removes Giannis as the free safety. So if if you have a player going downhill that does get downhill in front of Drew Holiday, he's like, okay, Brook Lopez is there. But not only do I have to worry about Brook, I have to worry about Giannis flying in from the side and blocking the shot as well. And I think we heard Giannis yesterday post game when he was just like, look, I, this is really hard. I, I want Brook back 
this has been a real challenge. And we've seen that with the Bucks. They've been giving up more points at the rim. The, the intimidation factor isn't there. And, they, and they're disorganized. I mean, they've been healthy. Brook Lopez has been extremely reliable over his first few seasons in Milwaukee. Yeah, it's, it's you know, at a certain point, you can only take so many pieces away before <laughs> to, and, the, the, you know, not this isn't to make excuses, it's just an observation. I mean, the Bucks have been down, you know, at times, like, five of their their top seven you know projected playoff guys and any team is gonna you know is, is going to struggle under those circumstances and it the only the, the biggest worry isn't so much what their record is you know when when everyone comes back it's the biggest worry for me is and this is a, a similar worry that i have for kevin durant in brooklyn and for anthony davis with the lakers is that um you can't win the title in October, November, but you can lose it. And you lose it by doing so much now that, you know, come April, May, June, Giannis or KD or AD don't have the legs they need because of, of the exertions you're putting on them now. Um, and so that's more of the worry than sort of any, yeah, like losing to the Timberwolves, like that's not awesome, but that doesn't matter. Like it really doesn't losing like losing to the Timberwolves in, you know, was that was that this month or last month? It was late October. Like it, you know, you'd, you'd rather not, but you lose a game in October without three starters and so what, <laughs> you know. Um, but it, it's more just the long term effects of 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 what, you know, and our, you know Chris is going to miss a few games now, so you know maybe that that'll rest his legs a little bit at least. Um, but for Giannis, there's no there's no rest for the wicked kind of and and uh, um, just just worrying about um, not just the, the amount of minutes that he has to play, but sort of the 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 load on both ends of the floor that he's that he has to carry. And again, it's not just Giannis; it's it's Anthony Davis and 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 Kevin Durant as well are the three players who really in in that book and that was it's funny it's it's the bucks because before the season like the team i was going to be worried about that with more was miami <laughs> just in terms of how much they were going to be asking about of, of kyle lowry and jimmy butler um kind of older players as well who are going to and and they've sort of avoided that by first of all by being very good and blowing teams out so they're not demanding a lot of them um but also they've they've just been you know they've so far been been much healthier than than you know the Bucks or the Nets or the or the Lakers. Yeah, and and I think the the, the trickle down effect that you talk about, obviously Giannis is is the top, and it, I mean it goes without saying you're not winning the title if you don't have Giannis. We know that, but also some of the other important pieces that we thought potentially could help the team. I, I don't think that it would have been in the planning to have George Hill starting games in the first month of the season. Perhaps it wasn't in the plan to have him start games at all. But when you talk about getting an upgrade at the backup point, because point guard position and, and does that mean something through the regular season well not if you have to play him 30 30 minutes a, a night at the start of the season so all, all this is is certainly concerning i agree with you there Giannis, when you talk about shot distribution and the way the game is going Giannis is is fascinating to me so i want to ask you about Giannis and what we've seen from him uh developing but if the the bucks are clearly missing a few parts right now but if your car is missing a few parts you can definitely sort that out at rockauto.com because with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure off the pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brands their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com 
at home and in your pocket. So save, and ti- save time and money with Rock Auto. They've got everything you could need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box. So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. And then jump across to betonline.ag and... I've been saying that the Packers have been looking pretty good the last few weeks in this show, Seth. Bad day. Tough day if you're a Packers fan. So maybe I won't be uh, won't be pumping up the Packers here. But you can get all your football odds, uh, basketball odds, hockey odds at betonline.ag. It remains your number one spot uh, for all that action. Head to the new or updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. That's bet online where the game starts. So as we move to Giannis and the shot distribution and evolution of the game for Giannis, it's been fascinating. I, I mentioned with Eric Bledsoe that sometimes people focus on things they can't do. It's it's kind of been the same with Giannis. We've seen it in, in media and, and fortunately for everyone or for Bucks fans that are listening to this show, uh, what he did in the postseason certainly eradicated any of the, or a lot of that criticism, certainly when it comes to postseason play. But as always with Giannis, we've seen his game develop year on year on year, and you always ask yourself, okay, what's next? And and for so long, people have been so fascinated by the three-point shot, and I think part of that is is what you'll read in your book and the fascination with the three-point shot and the expansion out to the perimeter. What do you think? What are you most interested in? Or if you were, if you could build, if you could add one thing to Giannis's game, offensive game right now, what would it be for you? I'm fascinated to hear what what you would think it would be, or how you would look at that. That's a really interesting question. I think that there, um, I think it would it would it would not be kind of more of the outside shot. I think it would be sort of a counter move when. When teams, he has, I, I think, he has some pet moves. I think that's, you know, there's the 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 hard euro straight at the chest, the the hard dribble left, spin back right. Um, those are those are sort of well known, but it's it's a little bit like you know a, a, a great pitcher with only two pitches. Okay, you know what's coming, do something with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if just 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 like a counter move to, to to some of those, whether it's like a whether it's it's kind of a, a, a push shot, which he's he's at times kind of come up with uh, you know off of off of like the spin, kind of come back with a little jump hook at times. It's it, it's it's something that that has kind of come and gone. But I think from a scoring standpoint, those just just kind of those little clever counters to his. Not necessarily something he does every time, but just enough that if you're just massively overplaying, like you know, in in the Nets series last year, you know, Blake Griffin, anytime he drove, Giannis drove to the left, you could almost see Blake Griffin slide slide a half step to his left, anticipating the spin back, and so just just something, whether it's a you know a, a quick drop step, an up and under, something that's a, that's a counter off of that um, would be would be like just that next little little thing but that's you know that that's very picking nets territory i would say i think that's one of the more interesting options just because it feels like he can get it when i say so easily i mean so easily for Giannis. i mean because as you sort of pointed to not only do people know his tendencies but we've seen when he has tried to use it 
that it, it seems like a shot he can get every possession. I do feel like part of it is that he's never really felt like he's he's got great touch around the basket because you kind of described it as a push shot, but then also a, a sort of a jump hook. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's hard to describe yeah. exactly what it is. But funnily enough, the shot that he hit in overtime when no one on the Bucks could score in game seven against Brooklyn in overtime was that push shot jump hook on Kevin Durant. And it's like, yeah, this is a shot that you could get. What about the baseline fadeaway that he always pulls out. Do you, do you like that shot? Because, I mean, no. he, yeah. And I thought, that, <laughs> I, I thought that's what you were going to say. It feels, to me anyway, it feels like when he takes that shot, he's essentially failing out the defense. They're like, all right, look, we know, you've, we know that you've been, you can knock these down. You've shown that you can knock these down on occasion, but it, it still feels like a low percentage shot for him, right? It's not, it's, it's not, it, it's that, um, but it's also there is a certain amount of sort of predetermination. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like you see, there's there's a lot of players, a lot of right-handed players, kind of do that 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 right shoulder like turnaround as a counter move. But you also see whether it's I think it's it, AD does this a fair amount, uh, Embiid does this certainly, is kind of they 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 spin back and then they step through and dunk, and. I feel like that's something Giannis used to do on occasion. Um, I feel like it was something he was doing actually some kind of in the bubble. And it was, and it was kind of because his strides are so weird. It kind of always looked almost like a travel. Mm. Um, but that's something he's, he's kind of gotten away from And Yeah. If you, if, if the, the player concedes space and you can, you rise up, it's not an awesome shot, but it's not terrible. But so often like the player kind of comes with you and you can kind of take one more pivot and step through and, and kind of get, get back to the rim. Uh, and it just seems like once he like turns to the right shoulder, it's like, well, I'm turning to the right shoulder and I'm going to elevate and shoot. And, uh, and, and so just like, again, a counter off of that to get back to a, to a better um, shot that, you know, if if the if the opponent is sort of overplaying a shot that they should be willing to concede. Yeah, I think we've definitely seen him go to the step through a couple of times. We also he went through a phase and and it really was a phase because it sort of disappeared from his game. But when the Bucks would have some guy in the dunker spot because he would draw the attention, and this was not so much baseline. This was when he he tried to turn go to the fade in the middle of of the lane where he would sort of jump in the air and then dump the ball off. To the guy in the dunker spot and it'd just be a layup or a dunk and yeah. he he kind of went away from that as well something that stood out in the game yesterday against uh who'd they even play yesterday they beat the pistons yeah, Detroit, so he's, yeah. You, you forget about the pistons but he shot that the catch and shoot three which you spoke about catch and shoot threes earlier in terms of the whole league and and obviously that's a that's going to be a higher percentage shot it was interesting to see him even shoot that with just because yeah. it, it felt so rare because a the ball's normally in his hands but secondly he would normally catch and either either penetrate wonderful left if he's going to yeah. shoot the three it's going to be a quick rhythm dribble left and then elevate yeah, uh, yeah no, he, he's i mean he he's i think he he is not comfortable you know catching and shooting yeah. and that's and so for you know for most players the the catch and shoot is a better shot i would the equivalent of a catch and shoot for Giannis is probably like the one where, like the one stationary rhythm dribble with his left hand into the jump shot is functionally what his his catch and shoot three is because it's not like it's not like the defense is going to crowd him when he takes that first dribble. Mm. So, um, uh, so but the, yeah, the just just it is odd just to see you know 
catch step into and elevate. And that's, that's, that's not something I don't think we've really seen since maybe his rookie year as something that he's comfortable doing. It's funny you say that because we were uh, in in the DM yesterday and I said that to Eric. I said, that's a, that's what he used to do in his rookie season, except he was standing in the corner most of the time, but it was, it was catch and shoot and, and he would shoot that three. But yeah, it was just a, it was just a, a, an interesting one to see. You had an article drop at the athletic today, as we're recording this uh, just generally about the offensive struggles league wide. I want to ask you a couple of questions about that because sure. we did, we did discuss this uh, a couple of days ago on the show and you know, the bucks offensive struggles, very explainable, perhaps not so the rest of the league, but first I just want to mention our friends over at McDonald's who have been proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect Seth. Uh, I was talking to Frank yesterday and he was on a road trip. Uh, is, is, do you, do you have, did you used to always stop at McDonald's on uh, road trips or, 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 or do you still stop at McDonald's? I, I, have, I have two kids, so happy meals are a thing. So, yes. Uh, it's a place you always uh, look forward to stopping at a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel and and probably keep the keep the kids happy. I don't know. I'm not I'm not at that stage yet, uh, Seth. But you can head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. Did somebody say locked on Bucks watch party? I don't know. I, I can't even remember where there's a McDonald's in uh, in Milwaukee, but uh, maybe one day. Who knows? When I'm back, we'll have some sort of live show. We'll figure something out. So this article that you can find over at The Athletic. Uh, I assume most of our listeners uh, are subscribed to The Athletic and they're reading uh, our friend Eric Name's stories on a daily basis or every couple of days anyway. But if you aren't, check out Seth's stuff. It's always uh, super interesting a lot of the times from a more league perspective. So it it has felt, and this is what I found fascinating about this story, and I don't want to give, give it all away, but watching the league this year and looking at some of the numbers and certainly the three point percentage and just the, the average offensive rating across the league, I was looking at it and I was thinking, why does it feel like there are so many games that have lower scores this year than certainly last year? And maybe it just stands out because last year felt like an offensive barrage to start the season, but I guess it's not the case. I guess the start to this offensive season is not as terrible as what we all, we all think it's been. That this is something that uh, I, and, you know, not to tie everything back to the book, but I think I, I talk about this a little in the book, kind of in the intro, saying, like, I, frankly, I didn't talk about last season very much in the book because, from a stat standpoint, I kind of was suspecting that we would sort of throw 2021 stats out the window mm-hmm. just because the environment was different. I mean, it just, you know, it just was with with the bulk of games having no fans. It was a, just a different environment. And I think that, in part, I think led to what, like as you say, last year felt like a, almost a pinball machine. Just the the scoreboard, just like you know, and it was it was both just the the shot making, but also like the it seemed like the relentlessness of the pace of games last year. And I don't think we've we've seen that as much this year. And we've actually seen sort of more of the normal trend, uh, which is offenses start the year slow. They just do like turnovers are high to start the year shooting is bad to start the year um and then it, it, it you know three weeks a month into the season it starts to pick up and then kind of in, it improves over most of the rest of the season before kind of that last covenant kind of couple three weeks before the playoffs when teams kind of are more 
jockeying for position and you know resting guys and stuff like that it kind of tails off again so really like for the most part with one exception like we're seeing kind of what early season basketball tends to look like so you're telling me it's not wilson's fault is 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 that is that what you're trying to say and by the way by the way i felt a little bit bad for paul george because because it's paul george of course he had to be the one to say this when he's actually been shooting the shit out of the ball he's been shooting it really well he was just making a general comment well it's one of the things where um like i was you know the 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 notes about the ball of kind of people have brought those up and it's like yeah i have seen a lot of players like fumble passes and drop the ball and blah 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 it's like but it's the kind of thing that like once you're primed to look for it you see it everywhere and so like the kinds of things that you would expect to see if the ball was having an effect like okay turnovers are up but turnovers are up kind of across types of turnovers you would kind of expect to see more of kind of the the lost ball the, the fumble it out of bounds fumble it to defender uh if that to be more of the increase increase rather than you know thrown away pass and stuff like that and we haven't seen that we've we've seen like it's it's sort of balanced across that that you know your uh uh, that that turnovers are just up across the board kind of proportionally to the to how they normally uh come about so i i don't think that that really supports the notion that the ball is a big driver of 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 what's what's going on now something that 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 uh, uh someone who works in an analytics department in the league did note is that you know maybe the early season struggles are perhaps a part of the thing that the balls aren't as well broken in yet by the start by the start of the year um so uh, I, you know the i don't know if people know this but like the, the teams kind of use some of the game balls as practice balls just to help break them in and you can kind of see them go over the course of the season from slightly tacky and somewhat orange to kind of a deep brown and mm. really quite slick over the course of the year and i think that um, anecdotally, it seems like a lot of NBA players actually prefer the the, the broken in slicker ball to the than, than the newer kind of tackier, a little bit harder version. So it's not it's it's maybe not the the new ball in that it's a new manufacturer. It's just that there, there's the the, the ball, it's the new balls for this year, and maybe that has something to do with kind of the slow starts we see every year. But I don't think there's anything like different about this ball from the, the the previous manufacturer like that that would that would cause any sort of it's not like if people remember back when you know they introduced like the synthetic balls in the uh in the, the mid-2000s like those those were awful like i i like one of my regular pickup runs at the time used those balls and you know i remember steve nash was, was talking about like how they they made the tips of his fingers bleed and that happened to me like the tips of my face because the ball when it got wet was so tacky it dried your fingers out so much the skin on the, your fingertips would split and i like i can't really describe how painful that is to yeah. have the ball like come off your finger when you when there's like a like a split in this like so that was that was a, that was a problem that was a di- very different ball than the, the kind of the leather ball that we're used to seeing but i don't think it's the ball this year i actually went back to read some stuff about this a few days ago cuz I couldn't believe. I don't know. I don't know why. I just couldn't believe that that was 2006. It was that long ago when when that that ball came in and lasted 20 games or whatever it did, and they were like, "Okay, we can't do this anymore." Um, but yeah, the fingertip stuff is is absolutely absurd. I mean, it doesn't seem ideal. 
for uh, for playing a game of basketball. But I think the most notable change and the most obvious change, and we saw this towards the back end of the regular season and certainly through the playoffs, has just been crowds. And it is it's interesting with, from a Bucks perspective because we know historically going back and even in the bubble when there was no fans there, the, the three-point percentage dropped off in the postseason. And one thing that you can never really record, I guess, is what the players feel under pressure or what, what impact the playoffs has on their shooting. Last year, you had the pressure of the playoffs and the pressure of perhaps previous postseason failures and also all of a sudden full crowds. But it was disastrous. I mean, it was terrible. Obviously, in the finals, it came back. But prior to the finals, no one outside of Bryn Forbes could knock down a shot. So it was, in the first round, that is, could knock down a shot. So I, I, I'm interested because there's been a lot of comments on Twitter. Well, it's good to see the Bucks are in postseason form with their, with their three-point shooting early in the season. But I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it, it, it's not a huge shock that if that was having an impact as well, all of a sudden having these fans in, back in the arena. No, I think that's right. And I think you you greatly point to the fact that like shooting out was elevated in the bubble as well. So that the the fam the fanless environment, I think, did was a, a kinder shooting environment. I mean, I think um last year, up until right up until the point where kind of fans really started to get back into arena, like the league as a whole was shooting like thirty nine and a half percent on on open threes. Now normally uh, that's that that that's a number that hovers or in the 38s usually, but 39.5 would have been the highest on of any of the seasons of, of tracking data, and it kind of settled back down to around 39.1 because the last kind of six weeks month of the season, uh, as fans were back in the building, and, and you know you can't really definitively assign causality yeah. to that, but it was it certainly coincided that it dropped off a little bit. And so now fans are back in the building and you know, it's that that number is, is, is around 37%. Now that may not seem like a huge difference, but that's, you know, that's the difference in, you know, at the rate at which teams shoot now, that's, that's a, that's a bucket or, or two a game, you know, three point or two. That's, that's, you know, that's somewhere between two and five points a game uh, of difference, which is a, a, over the course of a season, is a a massive difference that's a that's a five to 15 win difference for a team if 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 only if it was affecting only one team that way just to give an idea of the magnitude of 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 just that one change and so i think that um you know this year uh it, it feels like and this is normal at the start of the year like i said it's normal at the start of the year for players and teams to shoot poorly but the fact that we're changing from last year, which was such a ridiculously kind shooting environment, makes it makes it feel even more drastic than just the normal early season. Like, hey, we just came out of training camp. We don't totally know the plays yet. We're just <laughs> getting to know each other, um, and we're super nervous and haven't got a rhythm yet thing that, that happens every season. Yeah, and again, if for the Bucs, there's – no real explanation needed for why the offense has been struggling so far. We know why. I actually saw First it. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a table and I, it might have been someone at the other. I can't remember who put it up. If, if you saw it, maybe. I, think, I believe it was Owen. If I, I know the one you're talking about, I believe it was Owen Phillips, who's a, the, a great follow. Yeah. A great follow on Twitter and has a newsletter that I think is worth worth anyone kind of interested in uh, data visualization uh, to follow if they enjoy data visualization in basketball. Yeah. I, I know what. Basically, the Bucks are have have played the most lineups of any team in the NBA by just a, an enormous margin. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was honestly, it wasn't even that far off uh, double the, the the team in second. I mean, they were well, they were around 150 different lineups or unique lineups or whatever. And I think the second team uh, was below 100. So it was yeah, like 90 I mean, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we know we've seen some lineups that we probably wouldn't have predicted we would see at all unless it was like April, like leading into the postseason. So it's been a been a strange start for the Bucks. Before we wrap it up. Uh, you, you, you said that you didn't want to tie everything back to the book, but let's face it, that, that's why you know, we, we love having you on the show anyway, but we wanted to pump up the book. I've got mine ordered, as I said. If you follow Seth, if you watch it on YouTube, you can see his Twitter handle down there, but it's at Seth Part now. Uh, his pinned tweet will lead you directly to where you can order the book. Uh, November 16, I believe, is the uh, date, but uh, you know, you can you can put your order in. You'll get the book out. Is there anything else? We should discuss about the book before we wrap this up. I, I know you could probably go on forever, but uh, what do you got for me? Any 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 um, little nuggets? No, it's it's uh, so you you mentioned the title, and I, I do have to I do have to admit that that it's 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 a bit tongue in cheek uh, <laughs> because it, it 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 you know it might sound like I'm I'm uh, I'm advocating more mid range shooting, and really I'm I you know I'm not I'm not anti mid range per se. I think it's just it just the, the mid-range theory is uh better described as as you know when the shot is appropriate and and how that actually hasn't really changed over the last 20 years um if i can give a mild spoiler and also the title is a is a tribe called quest homage so i you know it's a, one of the one of the formative hip-hop albums of my youth was uh, was the low-end theory um so that, that's sort of that 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 this the, the 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 title for something basketball the mid-range theory has kind of been in my mind for for a number of years and i finally got to use it uh, appropriately i hope would you describe uh and i always you know people over the last few years as i've sort of moved into sports media and you, you're fortunate enough to meet people that, that write their own book would you describe this process as something you uh now have a bug for or this is this is one one situation where you're like, I don't know if I want to put myself through that again. <laughs> um, I, I was. I, it, it's funny because the while I was writing this book, uh, um, Chris Herring, the, the, yeah. the, the great SI writer, yeah, was, right. was also was working on his on his his book about the Knicks, which I'm, which comes out in the spring, and I'm I'm extremely excited for. Um, but we were kind of kind of comparing notes around uh, along the process of writing the book, and we were both kind of. This is awful. I can't wait to do it again. It's sort of is right. sort of the, the the feeling you have, and and I would do I would do it so much better the next time. Wait, I guess that means there's going to be a next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's you know it, it it's funny because there's there was parts of it that were very easy, and then parts of it that were extremely difficult, and with with almost very little rhyme or reason as to which was which. Like some like again, few of the chapters just kind of kind of I I, I would say I, like had largely complete chapters uh, of a few of the chapters done in 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 less than a day and then a couple of them like like one or two of them took me three or four weeks to even get to like a draft of you know of, of, a, of a five or six thousand word chapter just because um that for some reason get, getting the argument that was in my head yeah. onto the page was was proving difficult um 
look, I mean, again, looking back on it, I'm glad I did it. I'm, I'm extremely happy with the finished product. Just from a, from a physical object standpoint, I, I couldn't be happier with how the folks at, at Triumph kind of put it together, laid it out. Um, I think they, they provided me, you know, some guidance in terms of how to have some like the charts and tables look so it would show up well on the page. And I think it's, uh, I think it, it just from, from what I envisioned it in my head looking like, I think they've really done me, they've done, they've done kind of my vision of it justice. And I, I uh, and the other, the other thing that's is, is just when you see the physics, it's just how damn shiny the dust, the dust jacket is <laughs> yeah. not really prepared for that, for how shiny it is. It's kind of like a new basketball it hasn't, hasn't been broken in yet. So it's still, it's still tacky and shiny. It needs to get, get played with a little bit. So you get it, so it has a, you get a better grip on it. I like it. I can't wait till mine gets out here. The only, but you know, you just spoke about that. And the reason why I bought it and you buy the the hardcover because you want to have it in your hands. You want to physically read this thing. But as I was trying to figure out where I could buy this book or order this book in Australia, there is one website here that was, that was suggesting that there was, there was an audio version. Is is this, is this correct? Is this true? I, I am, I am not aware of this. Um, I, I, uh, I, that would, that would be cool. Uh, as okay. far as I know, there isn't, there is, there is, there is a Kindle version or okay. there, there are, okay. there are e-reader versions. Um, I, people have asked a lot about, uh, uh, an audio version um, and I've been told it's a possibility mm-hmm. and that if it happens, they would not ask me to read it, which I'm actually, well, I don't want it then. Yeah. Seth, I, yeah. I don't want it because that was the yeah. only thing I was curious about was well, if, if you were going to, if I was going to be able to just like kick back on my couch and have you read your book to me? I would be maybe a little intrigued. So this is this is the thing that I that that this, this the, you're not the first person to say that, um, which which thank you, I appreciate that. But <laughs> the the one thing that was really surprising about the process of writing a book is you actually it's it's a great exercise to find out exactly how much you can stand hearing yourself talk. Yeah. Like even though even though like your words there's only kind of an inner monologue, like at a certain point it's like, oh my God, shut up already. Yeah. Like you just hear hear everything in, in your own. And so the idea of reading the whole thing aloud sounds awful to me. And I would I would hope that if an audiobook is done, someone else reads it because man, I I just I I don't want to listen to myself that much. <laughs> I can uh, relate to that. Uh, just in case any of our listeners were wondering, I do not finish recording this podcast and then listen to it back to myself. No, I, I am not interested in doing that or listening to myself speak. So uh, let alone a whole book. Uh, that would make a lot of sense. Hey, man, this has been awesome. It's always good to catch up. Absolutely. Like I said, I think last time you were on the show, I, I don't even know if we had a, a season underway or we were just talking about a season getting underway. But uh, hopefully sometime in the future, I'll catch you at an arena sometime when I make my way back over there. Um, but yeah. You, you're missed cool. over here. People, people, you are missed over here. People would love to see you. It's, uh, you know, there's, uh, I can't imagine. What, what would it be like to watch a game live again? I've gotten so used to just sitting on the couch, listening to, to Marcus Johnson tell me what's going on on the floor, you know, back in a, back in a live arena. Sounds, sounds like fun, though. It sounds like fun. So that'll be good. Uh, like I said, the book is The Midrange Theory. Check it out on Seth's uh, Twitter. You can order it there. You get it on Amazon if if not. Uh, if you don't have Twitter and you'll be able to order that one, uh, it's going to be cool, man. It's going to be cool. I'm excited for you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. All right. Just a scheduling note before we wrap this up. We're not going to podcast tomorrow. We are going to podcast on Saturday, though. Bucks and Knicks, 
This is a national TV game. I think this is going to be pretty fun. I've been watching a bit of the Knicks so far this season. Hopefully, Drew Holiday's back. Hopefully, the Bucks have some bodies on the floor then and can make this uh, a competitive game. But it's going to be fun. Bucks and Knicks. Uh, ESPN, as I said. So we'll have a post-game show uh, on the weekend, which we don't normally do. But uh, that's cool. Let's give this podcast two days to marinate. People can listen to this one and then come back for the post-game show. So for Seth and myself, we'll catch you after Bucks and Knicks.